Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juice in the Big Screen, your movies review and discussion podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. And I'm Corey Hiller. And today we are here to talk about the 2006 action comedy film Crank and the 1997 tone poem Taste of Cherry. Corwin, where would you like to start? Los Angeles or what I believe is Iraq? Or sorry, uh, Iran. Uh, I looked it up. It's Iran. Um, let's uh, let's start in let's start in LA. Los Angeles, mate. That's right. Classic LA accent, Jason Statham. Uh, all right, cool. Crank came out in two thousand six. It was written and directed by the combo Neville Dean and Taylor. That's Mark Neville Dean and Brian Taylor. The film stars Jason Statham, Amy Smart, and Carlos Sands. Um, you might also recognize uh, Efren Ramirez as Kalo. Efren Ramirez um, was Pedro in uh, Napoleon Dynamite, which was wild to see him um, in this movie, especially especially in what he way is he in was in this. Yeah, which is amazing. Um. And who he is to Jason Statham that I still have not figured out. But uh, anyway, estimated budget for this film was $12 million. It grossed worldwide $43 million, which uh, is that's a pretty fucking good success, especially because at this time, Jason Statham was still new to the scene. This is early Jason Statham, um, this which is, is wild. Oh, he's he looks that guy from those 50. music videos, Jason Statham, not the guy from those movies. What music videos? He used to be like a dancer in like music videos. Did he really? Yeah. They're, I they're did not know this. Readily accessible if you wanted to look it up. I legitimately might. I love Jason Statham. Um, I actually heard Neville Dean, no, I heard Taylor talk about how they were hesitant to go and approach Jason Statham because they figured that they didn't want Guy Ritchie to be mad at them for taking his guy because. The only movies I think Salem had done before this were Lockstock, Two Smoking Barrels, and uh, Snatch. I think those were the only two movies. I'll have to, I can double check in moments, but I think those were the only film credits he had before this. Anyway, well. uh, the, the tagline for this film is Poison in His Veins, Vengeance in His Heart. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, this could have had literally any tagline whatsoever, and it probably would have played fine. Yeah, I, I mean, again, the lead character name for this movie is Chev Chelios, which is just incredible. Uh, the film has no major award nominations nor wins, which is fine. Doesn't need the Academy, man. Uh, it um is about professional assassin Chev Chelios learns his rival has injected him with a poison that will kill him if his heart rate drops. Corwin Heller, this was your pick. You can get us started. I just want to say they don't ever actually even say it's about his heart rate dropping. It's just like, yeah, just like you're going to die, man. So like, just hey, good, good luck with that. And he's just fueled by pure hate and anger. No, no, they say it. that's why it's the uh, because the, the the doctor. I love how effusive they are with the language though. When he's on the phone with the doctor, he's like, "Ah, oh, yeah, they give you that Chinese shit." And it's like we're just not going to pretend like we have a word for what this poison is, but we accept it. And that, but that's what oh, when he, over the phone, he was like, "Yeah, take a epinephrine or not epinephrine." Um, it was epinephrine. 
Oh, what's epinephrine? Yeah, yeah. Because the idea was that that was going to keep his heart rate up and he had to do stuff to keep his heart rate up, you know, all that type of shit. Um, it was a single passing conversation. Sure. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> all right. Anyway, continue. Um, Man, this movie is about as 2007 as it gets. I don't know what year this was released. Might be a more 2004 feel. Uh, there you go. Uh, but my goodness, this, I know we joke about this not getting any love from the Academy. I want to know how many people from the Academy actually watch this film because I would love to hear their honest thoughts because this is not a film for them. My goodness. This was definitely a fun, like, listen, I know what I'm getting myself into. I know what's coming. This is something. This is something. It's, it's a movie. I'm confident that it's a movie. I'm not confident about anything else about it. It's not the editing almost gave me a, a seizure. Um, the acting and writing was pretty hilarious. Speaking of, I had only ever seen like still images of Amy smart. I've never actually seen her act in anything. And I never really got why she didn't get more like leading lady roles. Cause like it's a, Amy smart. Like she was, beautiful like she was like that era's you know like i don't know famous person again i don't know if it's just the writing but damn she was brutal <laughs> um but yeah overall if you know what you're getting into you could have a lot of fun with this if you don't and if you're expecting a you know triple a blockbuster action movie this <laughs> good luck uh yeah, this movie is amazing. It is <laughs> one of the best things I've ever seen in my entire life. Um it is I mean it it's not campy because it's not playful, but it is playful. Like it is it takes the ridiculousness of so many of like the tropes of action movies and just leans in so hard. You know, like it, I they're think they're it's making very much it's so bad it's good. I wouldn't even say bad. I would say like ridiculous. You know what I mean? Because bad implies that something is not working. So bad it's good to me implies something is not working in the way it's supposed to. So aggressively, it's working as a different thing, which usually yes. is comedy. Yes, the script. This this is doing exactly what it wants to do. I suppose. Which is nuts. I mean, like, they're playing all the beats, like, tone perfect for what they're trying to accomplish. Um, Jason Statham is amazing in this. The editor <laughs> of this movie is... Uh, On be, a lot of drugs. Should be nominated for an award every year for this movie. There should be a standing award for this man for doing what he did in this movie. It's incredible. And the 2023 Cranked Editing Award goes to Cranked. Still still cranking. Um yeah, it's I I'm I'm excited to talk about it. I I guess let's uh let's go ahead and get into it. By the way, the film was edited by Brian Burden, Burdan, not really sure. Uh Brian Burdan was nominated for an Emmy. I don't know for what, but he was also the editor of Natural Born Killers. <laughs> That sounds right. That's amazing. 
uh, and he was nominated for an Emmy for oh, editing uh, the Twin Peaks movie, the the TV film okay. Twin Peaks that came out in 2017. Don't think uh, uh, anyway. I would have been. Uh, I don't think I got struck with uh, David Lynch when I watched the editing here. That's okay. Uh, yeah, I'm just seeing if there's anything else I really know that he did, but I'm skimming and not too much. All right. Uh, so the plot of this movie. Um, so basically, it it I I the other thing I love that it did was it just jumps straight in, and it knows a good action movie knows that no one cares about your explanations, right? The goal of a good action movie is not to have scenes of exposition or logic dumps or whatever. It's it is needs to just be like scene to scene. Like how do I fit in? Like you should have a a um. Uh, a um, shopping cart of stunts and just try to tie the line between them. That really is the goal of a true action film. And that's really just what this movie does. I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of loosely moving to a series of increasingly ridiculous scenes. And it starts off with just Chev Chelios waking up in the morning like kind of like sluggishly moving about his abode until he finds a video where the hitman who kills him is like, I was in your fucking house. I injected your neck with drugs because I figured it'd be too easy. Just regular degular kill you. You're going to, your heart's going to explode, bitch. You're, you are D E A D. And then that starts Jason Statham off on a, uh, an immediately urgent quest to go figure out how to, um, Kill this guy and also keep his heart from exploding. Of course. Uh, when when that video got played because it's so like harried, would you do follow it or were you just kind of like letting it wash over you? Um, I mean, I was following like the overall like what is happening here. Um, but boy, if there were little details at all, I no, I didn't get any. I uh, I I love that he um. He calls this doctor, and this doctor's like, "Ah, fucking Chev Chelios, I'll be there later." This doctor's like, "Ah, yeah, you're gonna die." I don't like that. That that tone of "ah" was like the only tone that doctor had the whole thing, and basically helps Chev cure himself completely. Like he's teledocking it. You know what I mean? And it's um. Oh, incredible. did that guy start the teledoctor trend? That Can is. We think? Professor Teledoc. That's Jerome Teledoc. Um, he seems like a Jerome. Doc Miles is his name. Mafia. He's a mafia surgeon, according to to the uh, the information on this on this movie. Of course, of course. Um, so basically, uh, this man Verona is the bad guy that Chelios is, is. You know, has almost killed him. So Chev goes over to. Um, another gangster's house, and is like, "Hey, can you give me the the antidote?" And the um, the gangster is like, "Ah, you got shot with that Chinese shit." And it's like everyone knows what he's talking about, but no one has a name for it. And he's like, "There is no antidote. You are going to die." Also, here's the plot of the movie: these two dudes are working together. Go, go, kill him. And Chev is like, "I gotta go find Verona." <laughs> I, I, 
And I think at this point is when Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite gets involved. Did yep. you figure out how they knew each other? No, they don't tell you. It's he, just, like, hey, it's my cross-dressing intelligence op officer, you know? Hey, let a guy do what he wants. When when Chev called up Kalo, at first I was like, oh, this is his cue. This is his, like, not in the action guy, but, like, you know, is going to go, guy yeah. that give him gadgets or, or like, mm -hmm. maybe he's his gun supplier or is going to be an informant. And it's like, no, just he, like, immediately we get a, a weird flashback shot of, of Kalo, like, grinding on dudes at a club. And it's just like, oh, okay, just, just a hooker, I guess, who some for some reason, like, Oh, I nah, honestly just took it as Jeff just Chalios? like, no, nah, he was just like into, hey, he's into cross-dressing. Well, I figured he was a hooker because he seemed like they, they highlighted his promiscuity and made it seem like he was a street guy. And I was like, oh, well, maybe that means he does it for money. So that's where he gets his information. You know, like I really did try to figure out how these two guys would know each other and didn't come away with much. So Hooker was the thing that I felt like made sense. But you know what? I'll allow it. If you if whatever you needed to figure out how this all made sense, go to town. The first, I think, like, oh, shit moment for me was when they uh, when Chev Chelios goes to the restaurant and finds uh, Verona's brother and cuts his brother's hand off with mm -hmm. a butcher's knife. Mm -hmm. How, and then, how were you there? And then the guy just stands there without screaming a word. Just He's like, just oh, like... my hand. You got me. Oh, this hurts. Oh, so much pain. Uh. And then the Chev Chelios is like, Kalo's in danger of being killed by Verona's brother, and Chev realizes he that his brother's chopped off hand is still holding the gun and shoots Verona's brother in the head using his own hand to pull the trigger. Not only that, but he takes his sweet old time to get over there. Like he it's... took a lot of hits waiting for him to just walk the five feet to point that gun at him. Did you get right away that that was Verona? Like, did you no. get right away that that was Verona's brother? <laughs> No, Josh, I am not like a stereotypical cliche racist who anytime I see two people of the same color, oh, they're brothers. Of course. Like Why else brothers or brothers? Two black people in the same film. They weren't Related. black, they were Hispanic. Fuck me up then. All right, it's been a while. Or <laughs> was extra racist. I... In proving I was not racist, I certified that I was, in fact, wildly racist. Ah, uh, yes. The South. Uh, anyway. Um, it's also funny because, like, the movie doesn't try to, like, spend too much time elucidating on any of the interpersonal relationships, which, is, again, is why, like, I don't know how Kalo and Jeff Chelius knew each other. But at the same time, it kind of doesn't matter. And I think that's one of the things that the film does really effectively, which is to say, you are here for the action. It doesn't really matter at all as long as you can ascribe the basic understanding of on my side or on the main character side versus not on the main character side. That's kind of enough. And it's like, yeah, it becomes obvious at a later point that like that was Chet Jelly or um, Verona's brother, um, literally in the Im immediately proceeding scene. But to not dwell on like 
building this guy up as being a super big badass or building up the emotional stakes of having a brother that's about to die um, is good because it just leaves you more room to, you know, chop people's hands off. Yeah, I mean, there, I think there's plenty of action movies that attempt to kind of squeeze things like that in there, like all the exposition and details that someone might potentially want to piece together a normal story. Um, and they just, they skip right over it, and it doesn't hurt the movie one bit. Anything, it makes it better. Yeah. Um, so anyway, after after uh, Rono's brother gets killed, Chelios goes over to um, his girlfriend Eve's apartment because he's like, ah, fuck, they're going to fucking kill Eve. And he like has to, like I don't know, force her out of her, her apartment because he's like, ah, I'm going to level with you. I am a hitman. There's bad guys coming to kill you. We got to get out of here. And she was like, fucking, I don't think so, big guy. <laughs> and then they... Uh, I'm I'm confusing that escape scene up with the car through the malls escape scene. <laughs> How did they get away from the yeah. the bad guys in that scene? Do you remember? Um, he keeps distracting her and beating him up while she's turned away. She's and complaining and is like, "Oh, child, wow, you're what's going on with you? Oh my god!" And he's just like, got the gun in his hand, trying to wrestle it away and all that shit. And then they end up in the restaurant, right? Yeah, somehow. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, <laughs> and, and then, you know, Chev Chelios is feeling his heart rate dropping. And throughout the film, Chev does stuff to get his heart rate going, injects himself up with drugs. He, he, um, he like, digs cocaine off the floor and just starts trying to snort it and rub it on his teeth and shit. Like, so, so bad. Uh, but in order to get his heart rate a-going... He convinces Eve to have sex with him in the middle of Chinatown. Does he successfully convince her, or is it a, a uh, semi-forced situation? It starts off forced, but then she is into it. She does, yeah. She's like, come on, get fucking hard, you dumb bitch, get hard. And then like, when he stops, he was, she was like, what, that was it? It's like, yeah, she, she, she was into it. Uh, I will be quite frank. I was not, uh, quote unquote, comfortable during that scene. That scene was fucking hilarious. I mean, the fact that like they they went to a wide shot of everybody cheering when Chev got his dick hard was so fucking funny. <laughs> it was pretty. And good. apparently, from what I from what I understand from my research, that film that shot was stolen. Like a it lot was. of the onlookers didn't realize that this was a movie. Oh shit! I lo- love that. So there were some paid extras, but I don't think they had all the permits they needed there. God, could you imagine just like trying to take the train to work and that is being filmed during? I mean, no. But yeah, oh no, well. I absolutely could not. I I do not know what I would do. And that's I imagine I would leave. It would just be too awkward for me. I would have to go. So the reason that they get interrupted with sex is that Kalo get, or uh, Chev gets a call that Kalo has been kidnapped, and he's like, "Ah, fuck! I gotta stop fucking this chick and go save Kalo." Um, he goes over to the um, the place, the fucking like the I don't know, empty 
office or not office, but I guess um, industrial space above a shirt making factory where they kill Kayla like almost as soon as <laughs> Jeff shows up. Amy Smart follows him for some fucking reason to find out that, yes, he is actually a hitman. Yeah, what the fuck um, was she doing there? She just like took the elevator up and it was it. And then immediately like is met with gunfire. Um, Chev gets shot in the ass, which <laughs> never comes back up in the movie. Nope. Nope. Never, which I love. I love that they were like, yeah, 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 he gets shot, but like, whatever. He's his heart rate so jacked up, it doesn't even fucking matter. Just ignore it. We're moving on. Um, I also loved the editing touch of what does it look like? Do I have cunt written on my forehead? And he taps himself on the forehead and he's got cunt on his forehead. That was gave me a really good giggle. Classic. Uh, classic McGruber. Classic. Um oh, you know what I missed? I missed when he was in the hospital. I loved that stint he had in the hospital where he just like where Glenn Howard young Glenn Howard is there. Oh yeah. <laughs> that was a hostage. great performance from Glenn too. It was, yeah. No, like you I mean, obviously you know right away, but even then it's just like, oh, this is like a fun cameo. He's getting like real lines and actually able to act in this. Yeah, and he he's like scared and uh he, like he might have the best acting performance in the film. That is a Juilliard-trained actor <laughs> who was getting, like, shoved around by Chev Chelios. Um, anyway, moving on, uh, Chev goes over to this rooftop hotel where um, there are girls in bubbles. Just, just There's just glass balls on the roof, and there are women just kind of in them. And which that fucking killed me, man. That was hilarious. Just bored chicks in balls on the roof. Like that's what they show up to work for. I mean, it's definitely a situation where it's like uh, at this point in the film, I expect everything. I expect nothing and everything at the same time. But that's one of the things. It that just all makes movie. sense in the context of nothing. Well, and it also works as like a good satire because it's like, yeah, you know what? This feels like if if James if nineteen sixties James Bond took place in L.A., I think I'd also expect like ladies in tubes or in, in, in bubbles or some shit like that. Like, yeah, I feel like I have seen that before, but this is really highlighting its ridiculousness, especially when like one of them gets shot <laughs> and the other ones can't get out of the bubbles. It's 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 amazing. Um. Anyway, Carlito, who's one of the other bad guys, turns out he was in on it with Verona. There's a big Ugh. shootout as the 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 Asian gang shows up out of nowhere. Huge shootout. Oh, you know something I also learned through my research about the 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 Asian people in this movie. No. They. <laughs> Neville and Taylor was like, "Look, we're just gonna subtitle you guys to whatever language, whatever dialogue we want to have. So you guys just say whatever you want to say, and it sick. doesn't matter. So apparently, if you like, no, the subtitles do not go in accordance to what those people are saying, because their their rationale was like, it doesn't matter. No one's gonna know. And you know what? They're right. Unless you speak the languages spoken in those movies, which is." Probably going to be a not the demographic. joke. 
even if it is even if it is though like that's going to be a great joke like if you're yeah. vietnamese or you speak mandarin or or taiwanese and you see that shit that's going to be hilarious to you so and if you don't know it then it, then he's right who fucking cares so yeah. oh, i thought it was a great a great cool. little bit i do like that and it's not and apparently all those guys are speaking like different languages like you know there's some mandarin some japanese like it really was like some Korean. It's just it's just guys just speaking Asian. I definitely anyway. would have tried to go out of my way to say like just the dirtiest stuff possible. Show my right? parents it. Sorry, they told me those were the lines. I had to say it. It's <laughs> just an excuse. When Chev after he escapes the shootout in the factory and he runs past the 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 boss in the the shirt making factory and he says something in some Asian language and they subtitle it, but they subtitle it to just the um the the transliteration of what the guy was saying so he goes like you know like anjong some some and instead of translating it they just they just put the subtitles of the sounds that he was making you did you notice this uh i didn't have subtitles turned on so no, i they're, they're hard, they were hard coded into the movie corbin then no i did not notice it <laughs> yeah like they're burned into the film um. Well, yeah, that was hilarious. You're lucky I like, to read. He he sub you know he he says something to Jason Statham, and it's not the first time there had been subtitles in the film. There was also the subtitles with the yeah. uh, the Asian man in the in the elevator, and um, mm. you you know your your mind immediately goes down to go read the subtitles. <laughs> the subtitles are not informative, which is again just kind of funny. Uh, anyway, eventually there's a helicopter scene. Chev gets in the helicopter, try to kill Verona. He does kill Verona, um, falls out of the air, <laughs> answers the phone, <laughs> or leaves a message, I should say, um, which is apparently of perfect audio quality. <laughs> and that, like, it really, like, Far and away I don't the most unrealistic long... thing about this film. I loved it, though. I don't know how long it would really take for you to hit ground from that height that the helicopter was at, but it made it seem like he was re-entering Earth's atmosphere from space. Uh... <laughs> like, multiply however many seconds it is by negative or 19.8 or 9.8 something like that yeah Yeah. um not long is the answer the answer is uh way less than he was actually falling for when he by when he starts falling he manages to accomplish catching up to verona snapping his neck pulling out his cell phone making a getting to eve's voicemail and leaving a complete message before he hits the ground. Well, he hits a car and then the ground. Um, I think we can let he, that slide. Uh, and then the movie ends with with his face on camera. Listen, he's a fucking and professional, man. He's a professional. Uh, 88 minutes. That is how long this movie lasts. That's it. That is it. 88 minutes. It did not need to be any longer. It was incredible. I to me, it had such an, an ingenuity to it that I so appreciated from both the comedic standpoint and the action standpoint because it wasn't just a bunch of like over choreographed fights or um because that's like a big problem I have with a lot of like fight based movies. If I don't know if anyone here has anyone listening has ever been kicked or punched. It hurts like a lot and it will take a lot out of you. And also kicking or punching takes a lot out of you as the 
the the doer of the thing. It's exhausting. Um, so there's always a little bit of the, the lack of realism for that. And this movie didn't try to go for realism, but it just also didn't try to go for the overdoing of any individual type of scene. The gunplay was present, but relatively minimal, it, 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 sparing for a, a couple of scenes. The fighting was present, but relatively minimal outside of a, like a couple scenes. Like it didn't linger. Car chases were present, but you know, it wasn't like the Fast and the Furious. No, they didn't. No single aspect of a standard action film overstated its welcome. I also yeah, thought, I, mean, I don't that... know about you. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. No, no, go ahead. No, you. At no point during this film was I worried about it not being fun. It was wildly fun throughout like oh, if, fully if agreed. it's very different and it does its own thing and you know to some extent that could be an issue where if you go too far and try to do everything outside of the box you kind of lose focus on what makes or breaks a watchable film yeah it was different it was very much outside of the box creatively and and what most people would expect going into a film but fuck it was it was absolutely fun at its core throughout like if at no I'd... point was this not a fun movie to watch absolutely if i told you that this movie was an adaptation of grand theft auto <laughs> yes it's not it's not but imagine if it was but it is would this not immediately become the best video game film adaptation of all time? Um, I don't know. The new Super Mario with Chris Pratt looks pretty promising. Um, oh, hold on. I got to actually look up best video game movie. I feel like there's like one or two good ones. Oh, this is a terrible list. Because they're usually pretty unsuccessful. Like, there's been some that Almost have gotten always. decent franchises. Like, there's been a million. Um, uh, oh fuck with the with the Umbrella Corporation. Uh, Resident Evil. Resident Evil. Yeah, there's been a bunch of those. We've gotten Mortal Kombat movies. We've gotten Street Fighter movies. Like, we, you know, we we've gotten a bunch of video game movies, but they've all they've all been unsuccessful. And I think largely because they've all lost some of what made video like they've all lost a certain video game element to the films in favor of a more film element you know in, in favor of more standardized film tropes and this movie actually feels more like a video game in a lot of places with the way that they did the sound design um with the way that they did the editing you know a lot of like the the crazy kooky shit that happens in this movie actually lent itself to feeling very video game like and very much like Grand Theft Auto especially with that LA tie in. And I can't believe that these guys haven't gotten the chance to do a true video game adaptation uh because I feel like it would be so successful because of how much ingenuity they they bring to like kind of that approach. Uh, scrolling through Vulture's top 43 ranked video games movies um the, 40 wasn't right. enough. This uh there there are no, no good video game movies. There's not a single one. What do they have as number one? Uh the werewolf within, which Sam Richardson. I, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Heard of the movie. I, I don't know the video game it's based off of, honestly. 
Um, this... Even then, the movie is fine. All right. Uh, Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City comes in at number two. And then the 1995 Mortal Kombat is number three. Sure. Like that one is in a similar boat as this where like it's not a good film, but it's an enjoyable movie. Right. All right. Well, I guess let's wrap this one up then uh, since we kind of move through the entirety of the plot and we have another movie to talk about. Uh, Corbin, how this was your pick final ratings and reviews. You go ahead and get us started. Um, I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it a three and a half, uh, almost purely entertainment based. Um, I know we typically talk about technical aspects of filmmaking. I don't want to with this. It doesn't come into effect. Uh, I'm going to give this movie two different ratings. I'm going to give this the rating of if you're looking for this type of movie, if you're looking for a colorful insane um like weird fun movie like if you're looking for just raw entertainment this is a five out of five this is a home run you know what i mean like if you're looking for something that is just going to be action and comedy and uh like 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 what we want um <laughs> when you think of uh how bad steven seagal movies are could you imagine if one of them was good for a change that's this like imagine if uh, if Chuck Norris movies from the eighties were made well and leaned into how ridiculous they were. That's this. This movie's fun, and for that, it's a five out of five. As a regular, regular what? movie, yeah. go ahead. What's your favorite Steven Seagal movie? I don't know, but there is one where he acts two Asian people speaking in an Asian language to speak English, which I think is hilarious because it felt like he didn't realize that was in the script. What's <laughs> the one where know. he's a cook on a boat? but is like a superhero in a cook's uniform type deal. I do, I do not know the names of Steven Seagal movies. I only know his ponytail when I see him in them. I think that's the only one I've genuinely seen, so I just have to go with that one regardless. They're so bad. It's amazing. Yes. I love them so much. They're so terrible. Uh-huh. 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 Uh, anyway, as a regular regular movie, I give this like a four because it is still like, to see all of the editing maneuvers in the film is fascinating. Like there are shots where he's driving and the side view mirror is playing something like is playing a different scene or is holding like a shot in Eve's face when she's not there. The camera gets past to Jason Statham at one point and is very small, like fourth wall breaking moment where it then gets passed back to the uh, camera operator. Uh, Neville Dean and Taylor treated the advent of affordable prosumer cameras almost like the playthings that they are, you know, to make a musical comparison, Tom Morello isn't famous for being a great guitar player because he's the best technical guitar player. He's a famous guitar player because he's great at making the guitar do things we don't normally make guitars do. And it feels like that's kind of what Neville Dean and Taylor were able to accomplish with the crank film. Like this is a wild, this ended sequel do a bunch of wacky weird shit that goes be- like they, they were famous for renting cameras and then beating them to shit. Like they would get some of their car crash um, shots by literally just setting up a camera and then crashing a car into it, which is not how that's done in mainstream filmmaking. No, it's really effective for them. And that's I'll to be appreciated. It, 
That was like really fun. Right? Um, by the way, just another quick shout out to a, a funny thing about Neveldine and Taylor, because they're a funny couple of dudes. Their um their first credit, and I'm gonna make sure I have this right because I was wrong about the Jason Statham thing, but I'm not coming back to that. <laughs> um their first credit, I believe, was for um hold on. I have to find this so I can get it right. Their credit directly before this was on a film called Biker Boys. That's B O Y Z, a movie I have never seen but desperately want to. That's not real. And they're title from the film was their you know the area in which that they worked the the credit that they receive is for extreme visual sequence creator which is not a job what and means nothing what yes their previous credit instead of like producer or writer or choreograph was extreme visual sequences creators because apparently they used to just hang out on set and were friends with the producers and the producers were like, what do you guys want to put as your credit? And they were like, let's come up with something that means nothing and sounds insane. And that's what they did. And they should have been like director. Beautiful. Well, no, that's, that has, that has no, 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 no. yielded up. Put us down. That has, that has yielded up repercussions. Also, Biker Boys apparently stars Samuel uh, Lawrence Fishburne, and it looks horrendous. And nice. I can't wait to watch it. <laughs> so, anywho, pick it. We'll see. Uh, it might make her. It might make its way to the uh, bachelor party watch list. We'll we'll, we'll oh, see. God. Um, oh, God. All right, let's take this all the way over to Iran, and we are going to be talking now about. Uh, 1997's Taste of Cherry, a complete opposite film in terms of tone and subject matter um, from the Crank movie. Um, the film was written and directed by Abbas Kiarostami. Um, the film stars Hamouyan Urshadi, Abdul, Abdul Rahman Bagheri, and Afshin Khorshid Bakhtiari. Uh which I'm sure I butchered all of them. Um, hey, thanks for at least giving it an attempt, you know? I tried, man. Uh, the film, I don't have a budget for it. I have a box office of about $11,000, which for an Iranian film from the 90s, like, yeah, that tracks. Um, budget can't be more than that. The budget? No, because if you think about it, this movie is all daytime exterior shots and with very few locations and daytime exteriors are the cheapest shot to make. Um, I think there is one interior shot in the movie late at the university or at the museum. I um, think that's it. And there's, I don't think they even go shot. inside for it. I think he's like, no, I believe there's a shot from inside looking out the window. <laughs> oh, like in that guard shack. Yeah. No, no, not in the guard shack, in the museum when you're looking okay, out well, on um, Mr. Uh, Body E's um, 
like waiting out. It doesn't matter. Uh, film had uh no Oscars stuff, but it it was the winner at the Cannes Film Festival of the Palme d'Or in 1997, which is a, a pretty major award um especially in the circuit in which a film like this would would circulate i would not so, have guessed that oh it was a big film at the time uh the film is about an iranian man drives his car in search of someone who will quietly bury him under a cherry tree after he commits suicide this was my film so i will go ahead and get us started um this is again polar opposite film to what we had just talked about, where it's it's a constant uh, heart pumping uh, action flick that is just churning through scenes. This is not. This is quiet and this is patient and it, and it is deliberate, but it it is such an exemplary film, especially when uh, as an example of a film that is. A qualify that qualifies as like a tone poem. You really do feel this searching feeling that the main character is going through in both the kind of logistical sense as well as the emotional sense. You know, like mm -hmm. um Badi's character isn't just searching for somebody to bury his body in this pre-dug grave that he has already created in this little spot that he has picked out in this side of this hill road kind of thing is is also you know being relatively effusive with his language which is like if i'm here do this and make sure that i'm not awake you know what i mean make make mm -hmm. sure you know throw some stones shake my shoulders like that there is this there is a a searching kind of feeling that just captures the whole movie and it, you know it feels as though with every conversation he has with someone where he tries to eventually lead up to this moment like you feel the impending nature of what is to be asked and you feel the the desperation with which he is trying to convince some people to do uh, unto him this odd morose kindness um and it's extremely touching um yeah i agree corwin uh let me hear your opinions uh, I would have loved to see what this film could have done with just a Hollywood budget and logistics behind it to allow it to kind of explore this in a way where it can almost be fully fledged out. I feel like it was really limited with both the types of conversations it could have and, you know, obviously where these conversations were taking place and the extent to which they could kind of explore his options um, because it it was a severely limited film um, but I do think the story behind it the structure behind it everything that builds this behind not behind the scenes but uh, like the backbone the structure of it is excellent uh, you know it definitely made me introspective on you know what was being put on the line and and the feelings that were had uh from both he as the person searching for you know i don't want to say accomplice in this but someone he can trust and rely 
on to you know carry this out after he's gone um and just like the the conversations they have is you know like hey this is could be the last conversation you have with someone what what is important to you both with what you bring up and what you bring up about them and and share with them i i really enjoyed it yeah it's um it's also very effective where with its use of premise right like i love that we don't know why body is in this position mm-hmm. you know it is asked of him like the film acknowledges that the film acknowledges that it doesn't tell you by having people be like why what is this like let me help you like let me uh yeah. you know, we can i can work this out for you right um this doesn't have to be the way and you know body is constantly saying like no 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 like i don't worry about it like i've come to terms with whatever this is let it let it go um and it i think it does that to serve the point of how that's not the focus of the film the focus of the film is not um like promoting suicide as an answer to a dilemma which i think might be a reading of it if you were to know what the um rationale is and it's also not trying to i think revealing what the answer to that question is would also open up the door for you to say well like oh well you know what else is the information here you know it'll it'll lead you to poke at it a little bit more than i think is necessary because ultimately the film isn't about the suicide it's about you know making these connections in life that you are looking to i guess almost employ into death mm-hmm. you know which i mean is a really heady concept um and it's also so effective in how body approaches these conversations. You know, it's not, it's not these uh, melodramatic, you know, diatribes that he's desperately pleading unto people. He drives around and, and you can see him be picky too, you know, like, and he, he makes this exact point to, I think the, 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 the young soldier that he picks up, He's like, if I wanted a laborer, I would have just hired somebody to dig, mm-hmm. you know, to 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 do it. I would have just hired a day laborer. It's a, he was, his point was that I'm trying to connect with somebody. I, I want I want it to be done at like, um, you know, with, with some greater feeling. Um, and in that respect, the way that he kind of like navigates the conversations and the dialogue of the film is ends up being even more touching. In that respect, because it's not just a sensitive subject matter, it's also not sensitive dialogue, but it it is earnest. It's raw. You know, it's not forced, and it's it's not there just as you know this utilitarian means to an end. Ultimately, it is, but it is presented so much more conversationally and and in a way lovingly. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what you're saying. So, where I did guess, you find this? I don't remember. Sure. Yeah, it's been it's been one of those movies that's been on my list for a while. Have um, you not seen it before this? 
No, this was a first viewing. Yeah, this was this one was a first for me. Oh, so what'd you think? <laughs> Fuck you. I crack I crack myself up sometimes, man. Oof. So basically the the film has a spare few few sections to it. Uh we we see body just kind of driving around. And and even before we, we eventually get dialogue or I don't know if you looked anything up about the movie before watching it, even before you kind of no. Get introduced to the plot of it when he eventually first meets the the Kurdish soldier soldier uh, later on. Um, it immediately does have that air of like mystery to it, where it's not mystery in like the the noir sense of mystery, but just like there's like a, a there's a, there's an intrigue to what's happening. There's an intention to the driving that is again searching. It's not quite so. Um, directional you know that you, you get the sense that this man is looking for something mm-hmm. that he doesn't quite know what it is so you're along the search have... with him right right you are also trying to be critical in what's being shown to you to understand where it is we are looking to go um so the first guy he ends up picking up is uh again a, Kurd- a kurdish soldier who is uh uh, heading, I forget if he was heading back to yes the he was heading back to the barracks after he was home visiting his aunt. They have this whole conversation about his family, all that type of stuff, and you know this kid ends up clamming up as you know body was talking about his previous military experience and they had a was trying to get him to do some counting thing that he did when he was in the military and that one ends with the uh, the soldier running away. Yeah, Second and I, I, honestly, I, I can't, I can't hold that against the soldier. That was a, that was an awkward conversation. That seemed uh, a little murdery to me, uh, from the outside looking in. I can understand the confusion there, misunderstanding. Well, yeah, and I, I think it's also like, because one of the things that I think is the case with the film, and you have to correct me if I'm wrong about this, but. Every person he talks to gets progressively older, right? I'm not making that up. Um, I mean, based off of just straight memory, that makes sense. Uh, it seems correct. I, I, I'm fairly certain that's right, and I think part of that is is to also guide you through an, uh, you know, an understanding of life and situation for both the person that he's talking to and for an understanding of body situation, and so. You know, talking to this young guy who is also a soldier in- introduces two different concepts, which are also, again, pretty heady, which is, um, one, you got a soldier here, and part of the idea of being a soldier, especially in the Middle East during this time, we're, I think, post-Desert Storm and just pre-everything um, else. <laughs> uh, um, and so, you know, the idea of being a soldier is grappling with killing or, or or your own death you know there is a inherent mortality associated with being in or around the military that coupled with a man who is clearly in still very much so his youth you know and maybe hasn't had to grapple with um the harder parts of life for an adult or or hasn't had to, to handle death in any close and intimate fashion you know truly running from a situation that deals with uh mortality and the 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 temporary nature of human existence is certainly especially understandable coupled with again the fact that corbin is right it does feel a little murdery (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, like uh, getting picked up off the road by just some old guy taking you out into the woods, talking about burying dead bodies. It's uh, it's something, all right. It's an afternoon you'll remember. Uh, yeah. The next guy he he picks up is uh, a a guy who is an uh, he, an Afghani man who is uh, studying to be a um. Uh, oh fuck! I lost the word for it. What's the leader of a mosque? An imam. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, he's studying in an Afghan seminary, and you know the guy basically is like, I, I, you know, I study, and then in the summers I come home and I, I work so that I have money because money is tight, uh, which is a, you know, certainly understandable. And, um, you know, he body brings up the idea also to this religious studies dude and gets the religious side of it, which is, you know, we, this guy debating between money and his religious uh, obligations and, and, and temperaments and ultimately trying to pass along some religious, um, I don't want to say dogma, that feels a little too mean, but, but, you know, religious ideology off to body about how to not choose suicide life is the answer. You know, Allah gives you life, blah, 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 blah. Which, uh, again, much like the why are you doing this thing, Body also brushes off by saying, like, I have accepted this. And there's uh, and this concept that he also brings up, which is to say, like, God wouldn't want me to suffer. God would want me to be happy. And if I'm not happy, God didn't put, God didn't put me on earth to suffer. And he would certainly understand me taking myself out of the situation um, to avoid further suffering, because suffering is, is a sin. Which was... Okay, one shows that he had thought about this angle of things as right. well. It wasn't to be swayed. And it's also a, a very interesting idea, which I, again, I, it doesn't give it an answer like yay or nay, but it is certainly a profound thought to introduce to the, the conversation of the film. Agreed. Uh, and then I believe the last guy we talked to about Gary, the taxidermist, um, is the one that ultimately accepts. They have a, I want to say, oh, like the, the birds, yeah. yeah. He works at the museum, teaches everyone taxidermy with the birds. He has like a bunch of pigeons or something like that. Yeah, um, uh, quails or quails, quails. That's right. I knew it was a trash bird. I don't remember which one it was. A trash bird. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Quails are the feast of kings. Um, but anyway. Uh, Bagheri has a sick kid back at home that he needs to take care of, and he also tries to talk um, body out of this whole situation. Uh, but he introduces more of his life's um, Wisdom. experiences, and yeah, like this is an older man who has obligations that he feels are are more weighty waiting upon him. Right. You know, like the both the previous two people are trying to support themselves and, and family to a certain extent, but it, it's not quite as severe as your own child, like your own progeny, and especially one who is sick. And to understand the difficulty of money, especially when you're later in life and maybe you, you've reached your earning limits, so to speak, um, to understand that money might be hard for you to come by also introduces a greater willingness to go along with certain things. Um and then when he's offering up his, you know, attempt at a conversation of dissuading body from his uh, intentions, as opposed to the 
seminarist who is basically just like, don't do it because God says so. Um, Bakary was like, I had this experience with mulberries that changed my fucking life. And that's how quickly life can turn around. Yo, dude, and smoke this ayahuasca, man. I mean, it was a beautiful story. Uh, <laughs> I, I really loved the story. But it was, it was also more than just saying like, yeah, God said don't do that, so don't do that. You know what I mean? It was a little bit more like, I've been where you've been, and here is how it went for me. Here's how I... Here's the broad range of human emotions that isn't just from book. You know what I mean? Um, that kind of leads us into the end of the movie. So, but but between those three guys, there's also the guard. I guess we didn't talk about the guard very much because he, uh, I don't think they even got that far. Um, because the guard couldn't leave. That's what it was. The guard couldn't leave his position. So I don't think Body even broached the subject with him. Uh, but but just between those three conversations, uh, I don't know. Did you have any kind of like takeaways from them? Um, I do like what you picked up about the three people he meets progressively getting older and and having more life experience. And I think, uh, oh man, I wish I kind of looked back at the overarching relation between the three before just this second, but. He is growing up or has grown up in the society that, you know, he was a soldier. He can personally relate to it. He knows, you know, whatever the soldier has to say, which is nothing. Um, he has that experience. He knows what that is. He knows that's not necessarily the answer for him. And then he meets, you know, the the seminary uh, growing up in, you know, Iran. That's not really it's not really a place where you go up without having a very, very good understanding of religion, having been raised around it your entire life. Um, if that was his answer, I think he would have found it by then. And I think just uh, the, the professor at the end really gave him something where it was a new perspective and at the same time, an investment in him himself, an investment in I care what happens to you, where that's not something like everyone else was just someone who he picked up in his car and ended up just giving a ride to. They were more concerned about themselves and, and admittedly just making sure they end up okay and not murdered in a big open field on a hill. Um, but this professor is like, hey, like it. I'm old. I've lived my life. I, I know what I'm about. I know what I'm for. You want help? I'll help you. I want you to, you know, succeed, be happy, like live. But at the same time, you're asking me for help. I can help you at the very least. Do you think any part of body was looking for somebody to convincingly talk him out of the situation? Because he was, like, he did point out, like, I could just hire a day laborer for this. And the first scene of the movie that we see, he is in what looks like an area where day mm -hmm. laborers kind of, like, hang out. And one of the first guys he talks to is a, uh, a laborer. Um, before, even before he gets to the soldier, he's just, like, kind of feeling out this, this one laborer dude, asking him how much he's making in a day and all that type of shit. So, so it seemed like he was looking I... for something. 
I do think so. Uh, I can't foresee there being any person going through what he's going through who, to some extent, doesn't want to figure out a solution and find a way out of it. Like, even, you know, throughout all of this, it's if I am not awake, if I don't change my mind, if I don't go through with this, or if I do go through with this, things like that, where he had the option and he had plenty of opportunities to do so and things of that nature. And I, I don't know why he wouldn't to some extent be trying to find a way out in his own reasoning. Cause I, I agree with you. He could have just gotten anyone at that point after it happens, it happens and there's nothing he can really do about it. Not his problem anymore. Um, yeah, uh, you know, got to be. Yeah, there's an interesting, you know, when you get into, like, reading certain, like, or listening to, like, you know, people who really dig on philosophy in a certain no, type of way, there's often there's often the conversation around spirituality versus, like, religion, per se, which is to say, and because spirituality, to a certain extent, doesn't require a deity, or even specific practices, but it can be ascribed based on how you view the world uh, in, in a greater sense, but inclusive of yourself, right? And it does have like that kind of spiritual energy to it where it feels as though he's he's got a, it's almost, it's almost a religious or spiritual practice that he is creating, a ritual that he is creating, right? Where um, he is looking to be buried which doesn't even have to be, you know what I mean? Like there's how, how many suicide stories have you heard of or seen in movies where they're concerned with the burying of themselves? So, so that in of itself is already somewhat ritualistic, right? Not necessarily religion specific, but certainly ritualistic. And then adding into is the ritual of being buried by somebody that he has spoken with or had some kind of, short-lived but but relatively significant connection with and it's it's also interesting again to not get any information on it outside of those kind of like those two little pieces about a man who has clearly crafted some kind of worldview for himself uh built on some moral code or or some semblance of importance that he has constructed from somewhere and is trying to fulfill that um on his way out the door instead of being swayed by some of the more mainstream ideologies like Islam um, native to his country. So it's, 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 it's so interesting. Uh, so I guess that kind of brings us to the ending of the movie yeah. where body takes his, um, takes his pills, lays down like nestled in the dirt. It's the first time I think we actually see the, the hole he has dug in any extended shot and the film kind of blacks out and then it comes back in with a like behind the scenes fourth wall break of the director of the film Abbas Kiarostami shooting the movie what did you make of that ending I don't know I really don't know I was so confused like I, I thought it was like oh this is a cool like behind the scenes thing 
I kind of just figured it's a this is a post credit scene, like as a little behind the curtain situation where we're just going to happen to play it before the credits actually start. I I definitely think it's part of the movie. I, I definitely think it's it's meant to be symbolic in some kind of way. My initial reading of it is I feel like it has something to say about becoming untethered from your current situation or reality of yourself. It, to, to some extent, you know, like, not that anything is performative, not that we're putting on an act. I think that's a little bit too, like, direct. I think it's more saying that uh, Body has surrendered this construct of himself. And moved on in in a way that is not foreign from his situation, but not um not truly his station in life. Okay. It but it's an it's an interesting, really confusing kind of final moment that is I'm going to keep thinking about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's going mm-hmm. to keep popping up because it is such an odd, unexplained... Like, you know, uh, the Holy Mountain does something kind of similar with its ending. But as it's happening, Alejandro um, Hodorowski, like explains what it means while it's happening. Whereas this movie just says, here it is. <laughs> And it doesn't quite fit as neatly as a puzzle piece as Alejandro's ending does, which I enjoy. I think that that makes it um, add some digestion time to it, which I will appreciate uh, as I think about it. But Yeah, I can't say that uh, I started thinking about the Holy Mountain at any point watching this. One of the greatest movies ever made. If that's your opinion. That's the facts, Jack. Uh, oh, do you have any other thoughts about this, or should we get into final ratings and reviews? Um, let's just get into final ratings and reviews. I got nothing. All right, this was my film, so I will uh, get us started. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. It is a thinky movie. It is a beautiful movie. Um, I can't say I'm certain how much I'm going to revisit it because it is a little sad. Um. Mm-hmm. But it is so immaculately done on such a small scale. And that is always feels a little bit more impressive when it, when it's done in, in that kind of way. Because to take what is inherently a book-like idea, so much of it feels as though it should be inner monologue that, that runs through the course of uh, Badi driving around town and whatnot instead is somehow conveyed in just you know his glances and the the cinematography and and his presence and to accomplish that with again what is such a minimalistic film is so beautiful and so impressive um i think this is a four and a half for me hmm. nice um i know the fact that you were able to connect it to the Holy Mountain means it gets at least a, a 0.5 boost for you, um, which is fine. I teach their own. Uh, I think this 
this has the potential to be the four and a half. I just I don't think it flushes the conversations and and relation. I don't know. I my gut's saying three and a half. I'm just gonna give it a three and a half. Fair enough. So Corwin Heller, let's do it. Give me next week's pick. What do you got? Uh, I'm going to go with a new film on Netflix that I very much wanted an excuse to be forced to sit down and watch uh, from Germany, uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. Oh, that's a German film? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Right on. Uh, I am going to force us to go to the movies, and I am going to pick Tar. Okay. Which um is a Oscars hopeful, so we're going to hopefully uh, cross one of those movies off of our list uh, nice and early. So, that is That's all Kate quiet. Blanchett, right? Sorry. Uh, I'm going to be perfectly honest, I have no fucking clue who's in that movie. Okay. Yeah. I'm uh I'm just I'm just rolling with it, baby. So, um, it is in theatres. Go fucking find it. Um, but as Corbin said, All Quiet on the Western Front is on Netflix. Um, so go check that out. Those are the the two. Fil- oh, Daniel Brule is in that. Nice to see him again. Um. All right, cool. Yeah, them's the flicks. Go check them out. Uh, in the meantime, if you'd like to follow the show on Twitter, you so at Juicing. Nope, at Big Screen Juice. If you'd like to follow Corwin on Twitter, you so at Corwin Heller. If you'd like to follow myself on Twitter, you so at Joshua D. Tracy. If you'd like to send emails to the show, you can do so at JuicingTheBigScreen at gmail.com. And until next time, y'all have a good one. Bye.